We're going to be in Matthew, uh, excuse me, Mark 10, but we're going to look at Matthew 20, and we're going to read a parallel passage in Matthew, and then my message will be from Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 10. And I thank all the pinch hitters, and what a great job they all did. Uh, I remember starting a church 40 years ago, almost 40 years ago, first church I started in Panama, and it was me, myself, and I. I did the offering, I did the announcements, I led the music, and I preached. And, and we had one man to start the church with, and I said, you're the treasure because I'm not touching the money. <laughs> so that's the way it was. And uh, all four of us in the first church service, we grew to about 150, and God ended up giving us two church buildings over the years, debt-free, and left there when I left a parsonage and, uh, and also a double-wide mobile home, parsonage in a building to the missionary to start a Spanish church there, and he was there until they tore it all down when they built the third canal here a few years back. But God was good then. He's still good today, and I appreciate everybody who helped. I heard about a, a lady that fell in a burn pit and got burnt, I mean, she was just burned all over and died, and they put mistakenly on a tombstone, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Matthew chapter 20, and of course that's a joke. It wouldn't be funny if it really happened. In Matthew chapter 20, we're going to read verses 29 to 34 in a few moments. We've been going through this little battle with the devil, and this is the final message relating to that. Two weeks ago, we preached on spiritual warfare, and we talked about that our battle is not with flesh and blood. It's not our physical strength against some opposition in flesh. And we talked about the battle for the mind. Uh, some great books are written about the battle for the mind. And we talked about our battles with principalities. We explained that Greek word arch, archangels, fallen celestial leaders, principalities and powers, authorities, who's the prince and power of the air, the authority of the air, Satan. We talked about principalities, uh, powers, spiritual, spiritual. I mean, excuse me, rulers of darkness, i got to remember this. And the fourth one there in the text is spiritual wickedness, which meant evil spirits. And we explained that we are always in a battle. While our flesh is sinful in and of itself, the ideas come from here. And Satan has access to put things into our mind and does all the time. Do you realize he's put thoughts in your mind from the time your alarm went off until I stood up here to speak? He has put thoughts in your mind. That's how he works. And we pointed out how the Greek grammar clearly backs it up. We talked about the Greek words, Satan and his devices, and we mentioned the word devices is a Greek word that's translated thought, think, mind, understanding. So what does Satan do? We're not physically fighting him. We're in spiritual warfare. He's putting those thoughts in your mind. Many puts those thoughts, immoral thoughts in our minds all the time. Women, he may do that as well with you, but we know he makes you feel inferior. You're not good enough. You don't measure up. And he just constantly wears on our minds. And today we're looking at blind Bartimaeus. And he was certainly challenged. We're going to look at that momentarily. But John Mark is the writer. You know him as Mark, but he's actually John Mark, cousin to Barnabas. He wrote this book to people who lived outside of Palestine, to Romans and Greeks. He was not one of the twelve. And so he did not walk with Jesus and witness these events. We know that his gospel is very graphic. 
It's also the chronological gospel. And each time I present a, a, one of the gospels, I explain the uniqueness of that gospel. It's chronological. In other words, it's in order from birth to death, perfect order. Not all the gospels are in perfect order. Some are arranged by subject. He's chronological. Of course, Luke is historical. We know there's one writer who, uh, agnostic, who said Luke's history was wrong, where he names all the different people in rule at the time. And he went to Israel to prove them wrong, got saved, and said Luke's actually a very accurate historian. And we know that Matthew is the complete gospel. He was a Jew, and he's one who went to the temple and no doubt got records and, and could put all the stuff down about genealogies, and, and God inspired him to give us so much good Jewish history. And John's the unique gospel. 93% is not repeated anywhere else. But we're looking at, at Matthew and Mark today. We're going to read from Matthew and look at Mark. But um, we know that he wrote two different opinions as to when Mark wrote. Some think it's the earliest written book in the 50s. Others believe 67 to 68 it really doesn't matter when. We're not sure, but we know that he was inspired. All scriptures given by inspiration. God spoke and God breathed on him. And so we look now at Matthew 20, 29 to 34. Stand and read Matthew 20, 29 to 34. And then we'll go to the parallel passage of Mark. I like to do this so you get different perspectives. And as they departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when he heard that Jesus passed by, when they heard Jesus back, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And the multitude rebuked them, because they should hold their peace, that they should hold their peace. But they cried the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And Jesus stood still and called them and said, well, will ye that I shall do unto you? They said unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. God bless us. Take a look in your book for a walk in this evil, dark world. And Lord, I just pray you'll speak to hearts today. Hide me behind the cross so people don't look at this sinful man. Listen to the Word of God. The Holy Spirit will speak to hearts. And your Word, we know, never returns void. Bless us now. We need you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now we're back in Mark. Here Jesus is passing through Jericho. And the context here is preceded by several events. Remember, the rich young ruler rejected Jesus for silver. Remember? And then the disciples, John and James... You know, we're arguing over who's going to have the special seating when they get into the kingdom. So that, that's what's happened just prior to this. And then Bar, blind Bartimaeus is going to receive spiritual sight as well as physical sight. But we know that's the context. And Jesus is just passing through Jericho. He's on his way to Jerusalem. It's near the end of his ministry. He's about to go to the cross and die. Yet he thinks of others. Selfish people never think of others. Jesus always did. And this is, of course, where Herod's getaway was. Jer Jericho had been rebuilt. There's a modern area there. And today you can go see the ruins. There's still a little city there. But it was known for its proximity to the Jordan River. And while he's approaching, remember, passing through Jericho, he reaches up to Zacchaeus. And then we find he'll reach out to blind Bartimaeus. And he's, he's, he's traveling, he's moving along, and uh, he's simply thinking of other people. Blindness in Scripture is also a metaphor 
for spiritual blindness. Bartimaeus was both spiritually blind and physically blind. The Bible tells us Israel as a nation is blind. And lost people are often blind. And the devil has blinded their minds. There it is again, the minds. He's blinded the minds of people so they don't hear and understand the gospel. He's a manipulator of our thoughts. But all this about blindness, I think of Fanny Crosby, who was converted, came to know the Lord, blind since she was an infant, and wrote some of the greatest songs in our hymn books. And many of them have to do with sight. She writes, all the way my Savior leads me, because she was blind. She writes, I shall see him face to face. Isn't that awesome? She's blind, and she's writing about seeing Jesus. And she writes, once I was blind, but now I can see. She didn't mean physically. She meant spiritually. What great songs. So now we go to Mark chapter 10. And I'm going to give you seven things. My message is entitled Breaking Free. Breaking Free. And I'm going to talk about how to break out of a rut. How to break out of a rut. I'm going to give you seven points. I'm going to read those to you now, and then we're going to go to the text and read those and talk more about them. Uh, seven, seven things I want you to know. First of all, stop waiting for ideal circumstances. And, of course, I'll go over these again, as I said. Second of all, assume your responsibility. Third, don't worry about what other people think. A big problem today, isn't it? Fourth, follow the Lord's leading. Fifth, do something bold and dramatic. Sixth, have faith in God. And finally, we find in blind Bartimaeus, those six, and also start or start with a new direction. Start out with a new direction. So after you are saved and after you have victory, there's some things you need to do. We'll look at all those individually in a moment. Verse 46 of Mark 10 is what we're going to, where we're going to start. And it says here in Mark 10, 46, And they came to Jericho, and as they went out of Jericho with his disciples, a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, and his name, by the way, is Aramaic, meaning son of Timaeus, when Timaeus means unclean. So blind Bartimaeus sat by the highway side begging. Stop waiting for ideal circumstances. Here he is, and it's not an ideal circumstance. I'm certain if he ever had a chance to be one-on-one -on -one with Jesus, that would have been a great time to say, hey, could you help me here? I'm blind. I want to see. He didn't have that opportunity. He's blind. He's begging. He's hopeless. He's helpless. He's hopeless, and he's helpless. He's beside the road, and it's a crowded road. It's not like he's the only one, and he can get right in the front of Jesus. He can't even see. He's like a homeless man without eyesight. I mean, everything in his life is hopeless and helpless. He doesn't have the ideal circumstances. And a lot of times we say, well, I'm going to wait for the right circumstances, and we wait, and we wait, and we wait, and we wait, and nothing ever happens. The time is now. The time is now. If you want to change, if you want to be a mature Christian, don't wait for some special circumstance. Years ago, I had someone said, well, when I quit doing this, I'm going to go back to church. I said, while you're doing that, that's why you need to be in church, while you're doing that thing. I've known people said, well, when I, when I get rich, I'm going to start to give. Don't give when you get rich. Give now. 
And so many people right now that have problems have stayed home today. I always say 20 drops of rain keeps 20 Baptists away. The forecast of snow this afternoon, people stayed home this morning. The snow's not supposed to come after 1 o'clock, but nobody's here. I'm not nobody's here, but a lot of people aren't here. I mean, and I don't know why I'm getting on the weather. Joe Biden's going to take care of the weather for us, he's already said. So, you know, uh, uh, someone said, uh, in fact, I, I'll, I can tell you who said this. He'd, Politicians like diapers both need to be changed for, and for the same reason. Um, but but I'm, I'm getting off the subject. But, but don't wait for ideal circumstances. The time is now. The time to start and change is today. Second of all, there's a lot of people here, they weren't ideal circumstances. Second of all, uh, assume your responsibility. Look at verse 47. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. He cried out for mercy. He cried out for mercy. And that is our responsibility. Ye have not because ye... Yeah. Because you ask not. And so he's crying out for mercy. He, he's used to begging. I heard about a beggar one time. They, they found him. He had two hats. And they said, why do you have two hats today? He said, business is expanding. It's bad. It's bad. But hey, you need a little laugh. That's a little laugh. But, but what was he doing? He's begging. He's helpless. Here he is. And what does he do? He cries out for mercy. He was humble enough to beg. Are you humble enough to beg? I like David who said in Psalm 4, Hear me, O God, when I call. David also said in Psalm 6, 2, Have mercy on me. Now the Greek word here translated mercy, where he said have mercy on me. In Matthew 18, we have the parable of the steward who went out and collected wages and uh, paid, paid someone back what he owed. Then he wouldn't have mercy on the other guy. Remember that story? That word here translated mercy is translated there in Matthew 18, compassion and pity. So here he's saying to Jesus, be merciful, have mercy on me, have compassion, show pity towards me. And he's, he's, he's assuming his responsibility. He's asking, he's asking, he's asking. And I like that he makes it very clear of who Jesus was. <clears throat> See, there were several people, many people in that day named Jesus. It was a common name. It's related to the name uh, uh, Joshua. It meant Savior. A lot of people had that name. So he made it very specific. He said, Jesus, son of David. And that is big. Why? Because that indicates that he's accepting him as his Messiah. You see, Jesus hadn't been to the cross yet. For someone to be saved prior to Jesus coming to the earth, they had to believe a Messiah would come. They didn't even know his name. Then for a Jew to be saved when Jesus was on earth, they had to believe he was that Messiah. Remember, they didn't put their faith in the death, burial, and resurrection. They didn't know anything about that yet. The disciples didn't even understand it. So here he's expressing the highest faith this Jew could express. Jesus, son of David, you're the Messiah. Have mercy on me. What does that mean? He has faith in the Lord as his Savior. Jesus hadn't died yet, but he's converting. Amen? He's having faith in the Lord. It's the greatest faith he could have. So he cries out, Jesus, Son of David. And I love, I love the brokenness of Bartimaeus. 
You know what it really takes to really be the Christian you ought to be? First of all, to be saved, you have to be broken. You say, well, you don't, Pastor, I, I, I was raised in a Christian family. I understand that. But everyone who ever comes to know the Lord has to realize they're a sinner. But what you really like to see is the great amount of grace with someone who's really, really deep in sin or really deep in trouble, the brokenness. Here is a man that was totally broken. He's a beggar. He's blind. His whole life he's been sitting by the side of the road. You know how humbling that must have been? Or humiliating, we could say. To stand there and beg for your whole life. Have mercy on me. Please help me. And he holds out his container or his hand to live, to, to just get by. He had to live a life like that. And you think of how must it have been for him to find a way to bathe every day. Maybe he had parents still living. Maybe he had someone wash his clothes. I don't know. But this was a broken man. And let me say to you as believers, each of you will come to a place in your life where you will have to be broken or you won't amount to anything in the Christian walk. God's had to break me a few times. I'll, I tell you what. Being broken by God is a tough, tough experience. And we keep being broken again over and over and over again. We lose a child. Or we lose a job. And God breaks us. You see, He often has to break the clay, break the mold, and remold it to make something better out of it. Oh, he's broken me a few times, and I'll tell you, it's brought me to my knees in tears and just not understanding what is going on. I'm trying to live for you, God. Why is this happening to me? God wants me to be humble, and he's going to keep having to break me and break me and break me. And I hope he doesn't break me, you know, every day, but the fact of the matter is humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. We need to be broken people, and if you haven't experienced brokenness, you don't really understand what it means to live for God during difficulty. When I was a young man, I had the world by the tail. You know, I thought, wow, you know, God's really blessed me with administrative skills, and, and uh, you know, I've been to college, and I have a nice family, Oh, folks, was I ever in for a rude awakening? And God just has to take me once in a while and break me. Just break me. Where I'm just weeping and crying and not understanding why this thing has happened. And maybe I'll never understand sometimes. But God broke this man. And if you're going to ever be anything for God, you're going to be broken. Some of you have been. A lot of heads been bobbing today because you understand the agony of being broken. You all have a cross to carry. Some of you may not have accepted it. We certainly don't like it, but we have to carry a cross. Your cross may be, uh, I, I think of poor little Stephanie, Conroy's sweet daughter. What a cross she's carried her whole life. Huh? Think of that. Think, think of people who've all their life struggled physically. Think of people who have terrible diseases. I have a grandson with spinal bifida, and, and, and I hope my son doesn't see this because he doesn't like people to know. And at school, he has a hard time, you know? 
And I remember I went to see him at his school one time, and when he went to Bright School, and he saw Papa, and he came running in his crippled run across the playground. And folks, it was all I could do to not weep because I know what he goes through. And that's broken my son, and it's broken me. And there's so many things I could share with you. And you could share with me brokenness. But folks, if we're ever going to be anything for God, we have to be broken. And God will break you. It may be a bad marriage. I don't know what your cross is. I don't know what you've been through. You do. Some things you don't want to share. You're just broken. You're embarrassed. But let me tell you something. The few young folks that we have here today, you will experience brokenness if you're a Christian. You will be brought to your knees to be anything for God. You know, all the elderly folks here would say, Brother Dan, you're right. I've been there. I understand that. I understand brokenness. I've experienced that. And here he is, Bartimaeus. I love verse 48. And I have here, don't worry about what others think. And many charged him that he hold his peace, but he cried all the more a great deal. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. I love that. I love that because he didn't worry about what people said. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet. Shut up. Be quiet. There were others we know from Matthew's account. Jesus, have mercy. We can't see. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And we don't even want to take time to pray. I love this. He just kept hollering for Jesus. And they kept saying, be quiet. And he would not. He didn't care what they thought. I'd like to see this. I'd like to have been there one day. I'm going to meet him. I can't wait to meet the great people of the Bible. Don't worry about what other people think. Hey, do you love the Lord today? Don't worry about what the world says. Huh? Just keep calling on Jesus. He's the master of the sea. Verse 49 Follow the Lord's lead. Look at verse 49. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. He called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good comfort. Rise, he calleth thee. I love this. He followed the Lord's lead. I, I, I love the story of, of Naaman as well. Naaman was an arrogant man, wasn't he? He was a mighty man in the Syrian army. And Elijah says to Naaman, he says to Naaman, I'm looking around for some clean, excuse me. He says, he says, go down to the Jordan River and jump in, jump and dip in there seven times. And he says, what? Do you know who I am? I thought this prophet would come to my house. I thought he'd come to me. And his arrogance was hindering him, wasn't it? It's not the way it's going to be with Jesus. And so, so here, here's this, this blind man. He's sitting down, and, and he's no doubt, he looks terrible. He doesn't know what he looks like. Years ago, when I was at Bible college, I was terrible at the time with jokes, and we had a guy named George who was blind. 
and all of us knew George, and his roommates were terrible. They'd pick out his clothes for him, so you know, the laugh there. And he'd come on campus, and he had the goofiest-looking outfits, and those guys would laugh. And, of course, they were good guys, but, you know, and we would, we would play jokes on George all the time. I wasn't that bad on picking on George, but George knew voices. And the campus had thousands of people at the time, and you would hear George call people by name one after another. Well, I'd say, hey, George, good morning, Dan. It's amazing. He had to learn voice and under how to know somebody by their voice because he couldn't see. But, you know, I imagined George, if he had a chance to get his sight back, he dove in the swimming pool, by the way, and lost his sight, like a Charles Crothammer type story. But he, he's, he, Bartimaeus is blind and he can't see, and all of a sudden, they said, Jesus wants you to get up and, and he wants you to rise and he wants you to come to him. And he did. He gets up, all these people around. He didn't care what he looks like. He's a broken man. But he knows one thing. This is Jesus, the Messiah. This is the son of David. And I know what he's done for others and I know he can do it for me. Did you know what Jesus has done for others he can do for you? Great little song like that. And so he gets up, we know, and the verse 50, I love this, he does something bold and dramatic. And he casting away his garments, rose and came to Jesus. Now they had an outer, outer garment. And it would slow you down a little bit. You know, you had to pull up some of your stuff and you had to gird it up and they had clothes underneath, um, you know, sort of like a long john type of apparel and a t-shirt. And he takes his outer garment and he just tosses it and he comes to Jesus. Have you ever been so excited about something you totally forgot about what's in your hands? Years ago, my workers set a fire in my backyard and the fire department had to come, big old flames. And I got out of my car and I ran down to the backyard and I don't know what I do with my glasses. I put them somewhere, tossed them somewhere, Never have seen the glasses since. You know, excited about, oh my word, look at my backyard. This big fire. Could see the smoke from the highway. I'm embarrassed. I threw my glasses. I had paid Walmart, of all places, 300 and something dollars. These were glasses that changed colors and they were scratch resistant, glare resistant. You know, they got more things to add on now. It's like a car. And I, I, I lost them in the first week I had. Threw them, went somewhere, just tossed them. And I went in that yard and I looked in every bush. You know, I looked in my garage. I thought, I, I don't remember. I was so excited. When my kids came at Christmas, to surprise us when the, 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 this COVID stuff all started. I'm sick of talking about COVID, just to be frank with you. But it was COVID December, and, and they came home after 10 years, first time for Christmas. I, they come to the door, they ring the doorbell. I've got the remote in my hand, not my Bible. I wasn't that spiritual that day. And I don't know what happened to the remote. For, it took me a day or so to find it. They were at the door. There's my grandkids. I'm excited. Who knows what happened to the remote? But it was somewhere, and we found it later under a couch or something. I don't even remember where I found it. But I was so excited. Here's a woman, like the woman at the well. Jesus said, go, go ahead and go. And she's going to go and tell everybody. She forgot why she's even at the well. She left her water pot. Bartimaeus tosses his clothes, and he goes to meet Jesus. He casts his garment aside. I love that. And he came to Jesus. Then have faith in God, verse 51. 
And Jesus answered and said unto him, excuse me, what wilt that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, now remember he's called him Jesus. He's called him son of David, messianic title. Now he calls him master. That's the word, that's the word here, curios, master. The word Lord is not a name of Jesus. You understand that. It's a title. Lord Jesus means Master Jesus, or Jesus the Lord is Jesus the Master. So now he addresses him as what? Master, Lord, Lord. Someone once said he's not Lord of all. He's not Lord at all, you know. We need to make him Lord of our life, and it's not really a matter of making him Lord of our life. It's a matter of submitting to him because he is Lord of all. I don't have to, I can't make him Lord. He is Lord, but I need to submit to his Lordship in my life. And take direction from him. And of course, Matthew talks about the compassion, the word compassion. But here he's calling him now, Lord. And he said, that I might receive my sight. Now, he wouldn't have asked if he didn't believe it could happen. He wouldn't have embarrassed himself, made a fool of himself, and hollered and screamed for Jesus if he didn't believe Jesus was capable. When you call out to Jesus, you need to believe that he is able and that he will. I love Psalm 1, uh, 150. Praise ye the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the firm of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts and praise him for his excellent greatness. We praise him for who he is and for what he does. And so he believed Jesus would answer him. And then finally, verse 52, start with a new direction. And Jesus said to him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. Now, the Greek word there for made whole is the word sozo, and that's not a word that you are familiar with, and I don't usually give you a word unless there's an English equivalent, but it's translated in your Bible several ways. It's translated to deliver, to deliver. God delivers us. Sometimes it has to do with circumstances. He delivers them from a storm or from a disease. It's translated in Luke 7, 50, saved. It's translated uh, uh, in Matthew 8, 25, uh, saved. And so it's, it can be translated several ways. Here it's translated made whole, but it's the same word. Faith has saved him. You see, this faith has made him whole. It made him whole spiritually and physically. He believed that Jesus was the Messiah, that's salvation, and he believed he could take care of his blindness. And that made him whole. I love the faith of Bartimaeus. You know, sometimes in life, I just had the faith of a mustard seed. I got up this morning, I thought, oh, brother, this weather, we're not going to have anybody in church. And I've studied all week, and I'm ready and excited. And <laughs> the rain. You know? And you get like that. And the devil, boy, he's pumping those thoughts in. You're right. Why don't you just call in sick? Well, I'm not sick. You know? I didn't really think about calling in sick, but he'll pump these thoughts in your mind. Oh, God can't do anything today. Half the people aren't going to be there. But God can do something in you. Amen. And he can do something in me. You know, we're, we're fallen people who need to be broken people. Be, and need to be obedient people. And I love this because Jesus said, it's your faith. And look at this. And immediately... Immediately received a sight. Now, in Scripture, not all healings are immediate. You know that. Some required, some act. Go down and dip seven times. 
Some were gradually, remember the man who was blind and he healed him in stages. He said, well, I, I, it's kind of fuzzy out there and I'm paraphrasing. I, men look like trees to me. You remember that? But in this case, boom. All of a sudden, can you imagine what it must have been like? I grew up in a Christian Reformed church till I was 12. You could hear a pin drop in every service. No one ever said a word except what they were told to recite or say. You'd never hear the word amen or no one ever get excited about the Lord. But I think when Bartimaeus, I think when he, when he received his sight, he sat perfectly still and said, hey, I can see. Probably how it happened, right? No, I don't think so. I think Bartimaeus was going crazy. You've been blind all your life, all of a sudden, bam, all that color, all those people, all the things you've wondered about. All of a sudden, you can see, I'll guarantee he shared his excitement with people. When we're saved and when God heals or does something in our life, hey, we need to say, praise God. Let me tell you what Jesus did. My child was sick and the doctors didn't see hope, but my child was healed, praise God. I want to share that with the world. You didn't care what the crowds thought. Man, he got a dose of Jesus. He believed he was a Messiah and he was healed from blindness. So many great stories in the Bible. Was this man born blind because of his sin or his parents' sin? Jesus said, neither, but that I could be glorified. You see, the Old Testament teaches us that Chastisement, sickness was part of chastening. The New Testament teaches us as well that some people were sick because they didn't obey the Lord. So we know at times God uses illness or, or something to, to get our attention. I know for a fact when my leg was broken when I was 19 years old and God took my college basketball scholarship away, that I knew there was a purpose in it and I knew God had, had done it, allowed it to happen to chasten me. But in all, it's not the same in all cases. Don't judge others. You don't know why they're going through what they go through. Because we also know illness is a part of the curse. Did you know because of the curse, we all have sickness to battle with? Yeah. Thorns and thistles in our gardens. L labor pain and childbirth. You know that. So we have to be careful. We don't know why Bartimaeus was blind, but we know he was blind. An immediate healing. And this is the last miracle Mark records. And then, of course, we have the Jerusalem story and the crucifixion. It's late in Jesus' ministry, but he's still thinking about others. When I'm running errands and I feel stressed and behind, I have trouble thinking of others. Years ago, I was pastoring a church, big military church. We had seven or 800 people, most organized church Ever. I mean, they had a system for everything, so military people are. I, sometimes I just thought, well, okay, I'm just part of the program here and just watch it happen, you know? And, uh, I remember times in my life where, where, uh, and I've lost my train of thought. That's an easy train to, to lose. But, um, you know, I, I, I remember, um, how organized and good it was, but I also remember, um, times, what was I talking about? I've totally lost my train of thought. Help me, help me. You don't remember either. Yeah, before that. I had a reason for telling this story. Oh, well. 
Yeah, it was very organized, but I was going to tie that into Bartimaeus, and I don't remember. But anyway, forget forget that story. Years ago, I was lecturing in a seminary class, and I started to tell this story, and I messed up on the story. And one of the guys in class who knew me had said, he reminded me of how the story went. And I said, forget that story. We're not going there again. And so that's where we are today. Forget that. I'll think of it maybe in another message. But um, I, I, I just know that that here, we conclude here, it says his faith and immediately receives sight, and then he followed Jesus in the way. I like that. Right away, what does it do? He starts a new direction. He follows Jesus. Listen, follow the Lord. If God saved you and he's done something for you, let folks know and then follow Jesus. How do you follow Jesus? By being obedient to his word. We don't literally follow him like the disciples of the past. I mean, those 12 or 11 guys followed him all the time. We're supposed to as well, but we don't see him physically. We follow him by faith. We have to have faith and believe the unbelievable. We have to follow him that way. And listen to that small voice of the Holy Spirit and follow him. But if you're not obedient to scriptures, you're not following him now. If you're not, if you're not singing and praying and reading scripture and being obedient to what you do know, you're not following the Lord. Blind Bartimaeus followed him. Follow the Lord. Follow the Lord. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, follow him. It starts at the cross. That's where you pick up and follow Jesus by getting to the cross. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for this story of blind Bartimaeus. And thank you for having me say what you wanted me to say. And for allowing me to forget things that weren't important because God, you're God and you're sovereign. And I believe I was obedient today. And I believe you brought things to my mind that would be helpful for our folks. And I believe your word never returns void. If there's anyone here who's not a Christian today, I trust that they'll come today and say, I want to trust Jesus as my Savior. And Lord, if there's someone here who says, hey, I've, I'm in a rut and I need to break out, they'll have to do something bold and dramatic. Lord, They'll step out by faith and humble themselves and cry out to you and say, help me, God. Confess their faults, their challenges, their weakness to other people. Because, Lord, what we need to be like blind Bartimaeus and be humble enough to ask. Bless, Lord. Speak to hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.